All right. Good to see all of you here this morning. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And when we get to John chapter 6, we find the Lord Jesus Christ at the height of his popularity. When he gets done performing this particular miracle in the first part of the chapter, they're going to be wildly crazy about him. Now, this isn't going to last real long because, unfortunately, some of it is superficial. But um, this is where we pick up the narrative, and we're going to talk this morning about uh, a miracle that most of us are familiar with this morning, and that is uh, the feeding of the 5,000. The Bible says in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Now, this is the third Passover of Christ's earthly ministry. Christ himself would be the fourth Passover. In verse 5, the Bible says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Now a penny was a day's wages. So what Philip is saying is you could take uh, roughly a little over a half of a year of a man's wages and it wouldn't be enough to give everybody just a little bit. So Philip is seeing the human impossibility of the situation here. And uh, verse 8, And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now in the Bible, when they numbered uh, the people, they always numbered the men. It was a military reckoning because these were the guys that were going to go to war and uh, die for their country. And it was those that were of uh, age to be able to go to war and, and older. So you had 5,000 of them plus everyone else that was with them. So there's uh, quite the multitude here, to say the least. Verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And then notice verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the moments we have together here, open our hearts and minds to the word of God. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would shut out all distractions that would keep the Word of God from finding a lodging place in our hearts. 
Uh, Father, we pray for that one without Christ. Uh, that's the most important thing here today. If there's somebody looking in or somebody sitting here in the congregation without Jesus Christ, Father, we pray that this would be the day of days for them, that they might partake of the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Father, we pray for your people, uh, that we might be edified, encouraged uh, to go forward for you and drawn closer to you in every way possible. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeding of the 5,000. Now, this particular miracle is mentioned in all four Gospels, which in and of itself is significant. It portrays Jesus Christ as the bread of life. And there's four lessons we can learn from this this morning. The first one is found in verses 5 through 7. If you take a look at verses 5 through 7, you'll notice the first lesson is that the life of faith is a life of testing. A life of faith is a life of testing. And uh, Jesus uh, puts forth this question, of course, he knew what he would do. By the way, anytime God asks a question, it's for our benefit, not his. When Adam and Eve sinned and he said, uh, wherefore art thou Adam? And he was looking around for Adam. It wasn't that he couldn't find Adam. He wanted Adam to step out and present himself to God. And so the Lord knew what he would do. And, and, and uh, Andrew's faith is tested. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, the trial of your faith. Now, Philip was probably thinking, look, let's, let's just take him to McDonald's, okay? I've seen the sign. However many millions, or now it's probably billions on the sign served. Uh, that's probably what Philip had in mind, something like that. But uh, he was looking at an impossible situation from a human standpoint. And we find in the New Testament that Abraham is the father of our faith. And when we look at Abraham's life, we see a lot of situations where God asked Abraham to believe the impossible, starting with him and his wife having a child way beyond their years. I think of the Red Sea crossing. I think of the desert of Zin in Numbers chapter 20. And the people begin to, to murmur in that particular chapter, and they said, neither is there any water here. Now again, to them, they were walking by sight. But God had some plans that would make them walk by faith. Don't you wish sometimes that God would just lay the whole thing out for you? If you're like me, that's what I would like. I'd like him to lay the whole thing out. Uh, me and my flesh, I don't want to live by faith. I want to live by sight. I want God to lay the whole thing out, explain how it's all going to work uh, going forward uh, so that, that I can see it with my eyes. But the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? not seen. And so our faith is tested. I think of David taking on Goliath. I think of the children of Israel going up against Jericho and encompassing the city. I think of Paul and Silas in the jail in Philippi. 
The Bible tells us there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So what is it this week that you're facing that you have to face by faith? There are some things that you've probably been able to calculate your way through. There's probably some things that look like they're going to work out just fine because you got it all figured out on your computer or your clipboard or whatever the case may be. And by the way, do you ever notice how some of those things don't work out like we thought they would? But maybe you have some of that in front of you this week, and maybe they'll work out just fine. But I would be willing to bet that every one of us here this morning has something facing us this week that we have to face by faith. We have to trust an unseen God to do in some cases what is humanly impossible. Folks, that's the life of faith. And that's what we're seeing here in this first portion of Scripture. So what is it that you're facing this morning? What is it that you're facing that, that is a test for you? Something you maybe would rather avoid. I think of uh, Genesis chapter, chapter 22 when Abraham and Isaac are going up one side of the mount and, and Abraham has been told to sacrifice his son. And, and he goes in faith, and the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that Abraham really believed he'd have to do that. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that he believed what would happen is that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's faith, isn't it? That's why Abraham is the example and father of our faith, both in our walk with God and, and reaching back to our salvation. It's a perfect pattern of the kind of faith we have to have to be saved and to walk with God, to believe the impossible. Now think about it. While Abraham and Isaac are walking up one side of this mountain, God and a ram are coming up the other side. But Abraham can't see that. And by the way, when you read the narrative, and we won't for the sake of time this morning in Genesis 22, there comes a point where Isaac starts getting a little bit nervous. And he says, uh, Father, there's an altar and there's wood and there's a fire, but where's the sacrifice? Uh, while they couldn't see it, up the other side came God with the ram. Up the other side came God with the ram. Some of us here this morning, before we got saved, our lives were in complete and total turmoil. And we may have been searching for God in some way, fashion, or form, and, and, and probably not the right way, not seeking the God of the Bible. And we were looking all over the place, and we were lost and floundering. But what we couldn't see through the fog of life circumstances and our sin was the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank God that the Holy Spirit brought conviction into our lives and illuminated that cross, that death, that burial and resurrection for us that we might have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. What are these testings for this morning? Are they to show God anything? No. No, they are for our benefit. They are for our understanding. They are to work our faith muscle. Now, any of you that are into bodybuilding, you know about this. You know that a, a, a muscle has to be worked. You know that a muscle has to be pushed. And uh, if you've ever been to the gym and, 
and uh, wandered over. And, and, and for me, going to the free weight section is wandering over. It's not a place I belong. It's not a place I feel comfortable. But I've been over there where these guys are just pushing it and grunting and groaning and making some of the most ungodly noises. And I asked a guy one time, there was this one guy, he was bench pressing, and man, he had a bunch of plates on both sides. That bar was bending. He had really big muscles. He's, he's pushing, and there's a guy on each side spotting him on each side, and he's pushing it and pushing it, and they're encouraging him, and sweat beads are flying off of his face, and he's making all of these noises. And I said to the guy standing next to me, I said, what's this all about? And the guy said, he's muscle collapsing. Muscle collapsing. I said, I looked at my arms. I said, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> I've been muscle collapsing. And it's been very effortless. I haven't had to do anything. <laughs> and he proceeded to explain to me that that muscle was being torn down and, and ripped apart so that, you know, the, the, the proteins, and hopefully that's all, uh, and that sort of thing that he was taking would come in and repair it and build it up uh, bigger each time. Folks, that's what God's doing with our faith muscle. If you're like me, you'd like to just wake up one morning and have it just all rearranged and set up for you, nice and neat as a pin, and everything all settled and nothing to concern yourself about, and, and no unknowns. Everything just laid out nice. Guess what? You're going to be waiting a long time for that day. In fact, you know what that day's called? It's called heaven. When we get to heaven. But until then, the life of faith is a life of testing. Number two. Number two, if you look at verse nine, if you look at verse nine, we see that God uses the willing. God uses the willing. There is a lad here. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? A lad. David was a lad. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, when he started uh, pastoring in, in uh, London, England, he was 21 years old. He was a lad. Uh, Jeremiah was a lad. In fact, he said to the Lord, Lord, I'm a child. And the Lord said, say not, I'm a child. Uh, I remember when I started in the ministry, I felt pretty young to be doing the job that God had called me to do. And um, yet we find that God uses the willing. You know what he could have done? He could have got caught, lost in the crowd. He could have just mingled. There were 5,000 men there plus women and children. Had to be at least 10,000, maybe 15,000 or more people. And he could have just got lost in the crowd. But he didn't. He came forward. And I love his faith. I love his faith. He didn't consider that he had enough lunch for himself. And that's all there really was to it. But he heard. He heard that there was some help needed. And so he just brought what he had. He just brought what he had. You know what, folks? That's all God's asking of us. That's all he's asking about. He's not asking us to supply the supernatural power. I'll be honest with you. A lot of times just to do the things that God's called me to do, just to get up uh, this morning here in this pulpit and preach and, and, and pray and hope that God might use me, 
sometimes when I look at that task, it just overwhelms me. But then I realize I'm not here to supply the power. I'm not here to anoint the message. It's God's word. It's it's the Holy Spirit of God that comes and takes it and and brings it to your heart in a way that encourages and blesses. And, And would you listen to me this morning? You've got the same thing. How many of you have a Bible this morning? Let me see your Bible. Would you just lift it up for a moment? You have a Bible. You got all you need. You got all you need. God can use you because God uses the willing. He came forward. He didn't get lost in the crowd. You know what I think a lot of times when it comes to our witnessing efforts or a lack of them? That's what we do. We get lost in the crowd. I think a lot of times we don't step out to be a witness for Christ. It's not that we don't love the Lord. It's not that we don't want to see that person saved. It's not that we don't care for them. It's just sometimes we just don't want to step out. You know, this young man, if the disciples were unkind men, if Jesus was an unkind man and wasn't who he was, he could have came forward with this and he could have gotten laughed at. Amen? You ever see somebody just, you know, try with their meager efforts and someone laugh at them or ridicule them? You know what? A lot of times that's what we worry about. And by the way, when it comes to our witnessing efforts, if they laugh at us, all right, we provided a service. (laughs) We, We brought some humor into their lives, amen? I mean, the old sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But he could have got lost in the crowd, or he could have kept it for himself. He could have rationalized, there's just enough here for me. I mean, what's this going to do? If I I give it away, uh, I won't have uh, any myself. Uh, Would you keep your hand here and turn to Luke chapter 6? And and I'm going to get ahead of us here. But I want to show you the the law of reaping and sowing here, where this, this little lad gave up his lunch, didn't keep it for himself, and and a biblical principle uh, is at work here. Look at verse 38. Look at verse 38. Give and it shall be what? Now, let me say this to you. I've noticed that independent Baptists shy away from this verse. Do you know why? Because they've seen charlatans on television and heard them on radio using this to try to profit. Oh, give your seed money, give your seed money, and the motive for giving becomes getting. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Our motive for giving needs to be charity. That we want to be used of God, we want to be a conduit that God can work through us to be a blessing to others. But this is a byproduct of it. Folks, God's never going to be outgiven. God's not going to be outgiven by you or me. God wasn't outgiven by this little lad. And here's the principle. Look at verse 38. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Um, I, I don't eat cereal anymore, but when I was a kid growing up, I would eat cereal and a lot of times I'd be sitting there eating my cereal half asleep in the morning, reading the back of the cereal box. And, 
Yeah, especially Tony the Tiger, right? Frosted Flakes. Boy, you talk about health food to get your day started, amen? I mean, if you didn't have caffeine in the coffee, you had the sugar on the Frosted Flakes to get you going. Huh? Tony the Tiger, great. And I would read the back of the box, and always somewhere on that box was this little disclaimer. This box sold by weight, not by what? Volume. Meaning if you open the box and the contents were settled down a little bit, that was what Jesus is describing here. Pressed down, shaken together, only when God, God gets done and the contents settle down, he puts more in it. And keeps shaking it and puts more in it. Keeps shaking it until it's running over. Folks, you can't outgive God. He will give more through you than he'll ever give to you. And so, uh, this, this young man, and, and by the way, notice it says, uh, shall men give into your bosom? It's not necessarily going to fall out of the sky like manna, but God will use other people to reimburse you. And, and if we have our eyes open, we'll, we'll see how God supplies and, and fulfills this principle here in, in Luke chapter 6. But uh, back, to, back to John chapter 6, he could have kept it for himself. Now, uh, how many baskets of fragments did they take up later on? Twelve. Each, each apostle came back. And think of how much more the fragments alone were more than the original uh, lunch that that little boy brought. Now, I have a hard time believing that that little boy didn't come home with at least one basket of the fragments. And I could just see him coming up the lane and his mom looking out there and saying, what did that little rascal do this time? <laughs> what did he trade his lunch for this time? What did he do? Come, maybe he had two baskets. Maybe he had one in each hand. But he, he could have kept it for himself, but he didn't. Here's another thing. He could have thrown it away. He could have wasted it. You know, a lot of people do that. They waste what they have. You know, we often sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, but we don't use the one we have. And a lot of times, that's a principle. Hey, if I just, I, I, I heard a guy say one time, he literally said this. I thought this was only a facetious illustration that preachers use. I heard a guy say one time, he said, if I was a millionaire, then I'd tithe. I thought to myself, no, you wouldn't. If you can't tithe when you're not a millionaire, you're not going to tithe when you are a millionaire. If, if I just had more to give the Lord, then I'd give it, but until that time, I'm not going to give it. And a lot of times we take what we have and we throw it away. Because we don't think that much of it. Or don't, we don't regard our stewardship. Or we don't fear the Lord that we will be accountable to him in our stewardship someday and answer for it. I don't, uh, I haven't flown to Las Vegas in a long time. But there were two churches I used to preach there quite a bit in years past. And I'm going to tell you something. A flight from Boise to Las Vegas is a lot different in spirit than a flight from Las Vegas back to Boise. 
Man, on the way there from here, you never seen such a bunch of merrymaking fools in your whole life. I mean, grown-ups with party hats on their heads and making all kinds of noise, ordering, the, I, mean, I mean, 10 in the morning, they're ordering the liquor from the, uh, the, the stewardess and, you know, just, just all crazy. They're going to go, and a lot of them tell you, say, I'm going to go blow a bunch of money. I'm going to go lose a bunch of money. You know, the house never loses. You drive around there and they'll go, well, we give back 97% or we give 98%, we give 99%. All they're saying is you throw down a dollar, they'll give you 97 cents back. And you do that enough times, you won't have a dollar. And the house always wins. But I'll tell you what, coming back, oh, man. It was like a turkey farm on Thanksgiving afternoon. <laughs> You've never seen such a bunch of sad sacks. And they did it. They threw the money away. Most of them had been drunk quite a bit over however many days, and they were just playing out. You say, what did they do? They wasted it. They threw it away. How about this one? He could have lied about it. He could have said, I don't have anything. He could have denied it. He could have denied it. You know what? I, 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 hope, I hope when I get uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, I hope that the Lord finds that he at least got all of what I really had. Do you know what? God's not asking me to be the best Mark Rogers that I could be. I've told you before, if I got on that piano, that's a beautiful piano. That thing, uh, it, it, the harp on this thing and the finish on it and the sound. And somebody knows what they're doing, they make beautiful music on it. I've told you before, if I got on that piano and started singing and playing, you'd quit believing in God. <laughs> you really would? I'd create a bunch of atheists. Uh, that's just not my gift. But you know what? God's not asking me to be the best Mark Rogers I can be. He's asking me to be the best Rick DeMichael I can be. And folks, that's all he's asking of you this morning. You know, I think of the guy that uh, Jesus gave the, the, the one pound to. I believe it was the one pound or the one talent. You had the one, the two, and the five. I can't remember which one's which. I get them mixed up, Matthew and Luke there. But anyways, you know, one of his buddies got two, and one of his buddies got five, whether it was talents or pounds, doesn't matter. And he got the one, and he's the one that just put it in a napkin and buried it and, and, and basically accused his master of austerity and being unreasonable. And you say, what's behind that? What's behind that? You know, I think he did. I think he looked at his one pound. He goes, how come I only got one? He got two. How come I got one? He got five. I want to be him. Lord, if I can't be him, I'm not going to be anybody. He started out bitter against God because he didn't appreciate what God gave him. Hey, folks, the only way you're ever going to win a race is you got to stay in your lane. And you got to look down your lane. If you're running down your lane looking this way, what's he doing and what's he doing? Peter was kind of like that. You get at the end of the Gospel of John, he said, Lord, and what shall this man do, speaking of John? And Jesus, Jesus detected the attitude, and he said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Come follow thou me. Peter, just pay attention. Pay attention to what God has given you to do. You know what? We all got plenty on our plate. We really do without worrying about the other guy.
So he could have he could have got lost in the crowd. He could have kept it for himself. He could have thrown it away. He could have lied about it. Or he could have given part of it and then told everybody he gave it all, like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, who were spiritual pretenders. Folks, we shouldn't be here this morning to impress each other. This is not a spiritual showcase here at Treasure Valley Baptist Church. You know what it is? It, it's, it's really two things. It's, it's a... It's a spiritual hospital for the wounded and that lost and dying souls might get life through Jesus Christ. And it's also a place where we get commissioned to go into battle in the Lord's army with Jesus Christ as the captain of our salvation. But it's, we're not here to impress each other. It's not about showing each other how spiritual we are. Folks, we can shine it all up on the outside, make it look good and be on our best behavior, but all of us know we got feet of clay. All of us are painfully aware of our own personal failures. So there's no sense in playing the game that Ananias and Sapphira played when all the rest of the disciples were selling it all and bringing it. And they said, all right, look, we'll sell, we'll sell it and we'll keep part of it back and we'll tell everybody we brought it all. Folks, they could have brought whatever they wanted. Their sin was pretending. Their sin was putting on a show. Their sin was being pharisaical. And so uh, this young man didn't do that. Folks, we can all be prayer warriors. We can all be soul winners. Uh, we can all be givers. We can all be encouragers. Uh, we can all give of what we have, even though it may not seem like something, if you look at verse 9, notice what kind of loaves they are. They're barley loaves. Do you realize that a barley loaf was the cheapest grain in Bible times? It was the grain of poverty. It was the grain of Ruth. Um, it, it was the group, it was the, the grain, excuse me, of Gideon. When the Midianite had the dream and he told the dream to his friend, he said, a, a barley cake rolled into the Midianite camp. And the guy said, that's, that's Gideon. That's Gideon. Folks, what we have for the Lord may not seem like much. I think of Barnabas. His name means son of consolation. You know what? We can all be encouragers. We can all be encouragers. Can I challenge you this morning to step back and take a look at yourself and ask yourself this question? I've had to do this. Am I the kind of person that when people see me walking up to them, they go, hey, this is going to be a blessing? Or they go, oh, no, how can I get out of here? <laughs> you, know, you know that kind of person, if you, if you ask them how they're doing, five minutes later, you will be sorry you ever asked the question. You know what I'm talking about? Or the one that's always got the dirt on someone else. Or the guy that's always sees what's wrong with what's going on. How about we all try to be a, a Barnabas. A son of consolation. An encourager. Someone that tries to point out, hey, look what God's doing. Let's get in on it. Amen? Isn't God good? Amen? You ever met anybody like that? I met some Christians in my lifetime. They just were so full of praise for the Lord and thankfulness. At first when I met them, I thought, man, oh, man, you couldn't be real. And then after a while, I found out they were. 
Now, do I believe they don't have their moments? No, they have their moments. I'm sure they do. And we all do. But we can be sons of consolation. We can do those uh, seemingly little things, that, that cake of barley. Be an encourager. Uh, be filled with hospitality. Just be welcoming. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're all, I believe we're all familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul talks about the different parts of the body and the, the foot should not say because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. The eye should not say that because I'm the ear, I'm not of the body. But uh, I don't know if you've ever looked at this one here, Ephesians. And by the way, when, when I look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and I see an ear lamenting that he's not an eye, and I see a, hand, I see a foot lamenting that he's not a hand, I also think that if we were to stretch that thing out and string it out further, you'd probably find a hand lamenting that he's not an ear. It seems like we always want to be something or someone we're not. And uh, look at this one here, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and look at verse, verse 16. The Bible says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Uh, we talked about eyes. And ears, and the ears shouldn't say I'm not of the body because I'm not the eye. We talked about hands and feet. The feet shouldn't say I'm not of the body because I'm not the hand. Hey, how about if we're a joint? Who sees the joint? Nobody sees the joint. My, uh, okay, you might see the joints in my hands, but you don't see the joints. But most of that's under, under cover of clothes. And what isn't is under cover of skin. You say, well, how, how important are the joints? Just ask somebody with rheumatoid arthritis how important the joints are. All of us, all of us can be willing, and that's what God's looking for this morning. Um, look also back again in John chapter 6, and notice verse 11. Notice verse 11. And the third thing we notice is that God uses the blessed and the broken, the blessed and the broken. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. In Luke chapter 9, the Bible says he blessed them and break them. God uses that which is blessed and broken. Now again, this is another part of the process I don't appreciate. But We go over to John chapter 15, and we find out Start bearing fruit. God purges the vine. Then it bears more fruit. It bears more fruit. He purges it again. That it might bring forth much fruit. Much fruit. Jesus talks about a cross and discipleship. He says, and if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-denial, sacrifice. It all starts in the will. God is looking for those who will look for reasons to say yes versus those that look for excuses to say no. Sam Jones, the old Methodist circuit-riding preacher, used to say, 
He said, I could get you fixed if I could get your rather fixed. If I could get your rather fixed, what you'd rather do. He uses that which is blessed and broken. I remember when I was first diagnosed with leukemia in uh, uh, December of 01, and, and I called uh, my old friend Doc Noe, my mentor, who had battled with cancer for years and years, decades, various forms of cancer, and he was a good friend and a mentor. Uh, how many of you remember Doc Noe back in the day from Livonia, Michigan? Okay, about a third of you still remember him, maybe a fourth. He's gone on to be with the Lord a long time ago. Uh, died in a good old age. But if you remember him, he had that real soft but gravelly voice. You remember that? He had a soft voice, but it was very, very gravelly. And I remember he was one of the first people I called. And I remember calling him, and I don't know what I expected. But I guarantee you, whatever it was, it wasn't what I got. And I said, hey, Dr. Noe, I said, uh, I just want to talk to you. I said, I know you've, you've battled cancer for years, and, and I explained to him what had happened, and he just listened. And then he said in that soft, gravelly voice, this was the first thing he said. He goes, well, said the biggest job God's got anymore is to keep his preachers right with him. I mean, I think I was probably expecting some kind of pep talk or some, oh, brother, I'll pray for you. That's, you know, I don't know what, but that's what he said. And you know what? When I look back on it, I believe he's right. The Lord does things in our lives by breaking us that we would never choose to do ourselves. And it's, and it's what I call it's what I call passive growth. It's a new year. Uh, we talked about a Bible reading calendar. I, I, I encourage you to, to up your efforts in your Bible reading. Prayer, church attendance, giving, soul winning efforts, whatever. Those are things we can do. Those are active. But there are some passive as aspects of growth. There's some passive aspects of growth. And, 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 and we just can't make ourselves grow until God allows certain things to come into our lives. And, you know, if he let us choose, it would never work. It wouldn't really break us. If God says, okay, I'll let you choose what it is, I would choose something that really wasn't so hard. But he gives us things that breaks us. I, I remember just a couple of months prior to getting that diagnosis in, in uh, December of 01, I remember saying to, to Carol, I said, you know what? I just keep hitting a wall spiritually. I'm hitting a wall. I said, and no matter what I do, I, I can't seem to. And when that doctor sat across the desk from me and said, leukemia, that wall went just like that. Now, folks, I didn't volunteer for that. I didn't get down on my knees and ask for it. But when those things come into our lives, whatever they may be, in whatever form, fashion, name, or shape, or size, we got two choices. We can say, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw close to you for you to get me through this. Or we can get bitter, we can get mad, we can get frustrated, we can get in the flesh, and we can get insistent. Okay, God, unless you take this thing from me, that's it. Sometimes, folks, we don't have that choice. 
And that's what John 15 is all about. John 15 is the husbandman purges that vine. He does it. The vine doesn't purge itself. He does it. And so God uses that which is blessed and broken. And it humbles us. It humbles us. Uh, We don't like to be humbled. We sure don't like to be humiliated. But the Bible tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us in due time, casting all our cares upon him, for he careth for us. Someone once said, we're we're raising a generation of masters, not a generation of servants. Do you ever notice everything is a leadership conference now? Go to enough conferences, and you can take Pee Wee Herman and turn him into a leader. You can take Pee Wee Herman and turn him into a great leader of men. Send them to enough conferences. Why aren't there fellowship conferences? How about conferences where we go to get some humility instead of getting all fluffed up about, you know, our potential? God's looking for some people that are willing to serve. We're we're raising a generation of masters, not servants. Someone once said, ability never gravitates to character. But character always gravitates to ability. Young people, let God develop your character. By all means, pursue ability, but let God develop your character because your character is more important than your ability. Talented people who accomplish nothing are literally a book of Proverbs in the history of man. Why? Because those people tend to just rely on their talent. There's no substitute for character. There's no substitute for hard work. And little is much when God is in it. Let's look at this last point. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. And he takes and he gives thanks. He distributes to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And and by the way, this was a big test of faith for the disciples. Uh, I don't believe that Jesus just when he got these loaves and fishes, he just created this big pile of bread and this big pile of fish and then told the disciples, okay, just shovel it into your baskets and go. I don't think that's how it went. I think they were standing there and Jesus took some of the bread and put a little bit in each basket and some of the fish and put a little bit in each basket. They had a word of prayer. Their backs were turned to this thousands of people they were going to feed and they got done praying and Jesus said, okay. And some of those disciples probably looked in that basket. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Just turning around to the crowd was an act of faith. And, and he walked and, and, and I, I could just see it's, it's, I don't, I can you imagine Thomas Now, Peter, you know, is about half crazy. He'd believe anything, you know. But think about Thomas. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have followed Jesus. Everybody's going to think I'm an idiot. He walks up to the first person, takes him out, gives it to him. And there's some more. Okay, put, put a little more. <laughs> I mean, it started getting good after a while. 
I mean, after about 10 or 15 people, and the God of resupply just kept supplying and kept supplying and kept supplying, they started to see. They started to see, but they had to see it initially with the eye of faith. And what did they learn? That little is much when God is in it. Hey, take a look at verse 4. Take a look at verse 4. And notice... Or excuse me, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 7. Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a what? Little. So, so what was Philip proposing? He was pr- proposing a snack. Look at verse 11. Look at the end of the verse. And likewise of the fishes as much as they what? Okay, Philip is looking at a snack. Jesus is looking at a buffet as much as they would. Isn't that what a buffet is? You go and eat as much as you want. All you can eat. All you can eat. I heard a story about these four, uh, four guys in the military. They were special forces. I can't remember what branch of the military they were. And, and pardon me if I got the terminology wrong, special forces, Green Beret, whatever. But they were in training and they had worked up some incredible appetites. These guys were eating machines anyways. They went into an, a, a, a Chinese all-you-can-eat restaurant. And they were cleaning the place out. And after a couple hours of this, this little Asian lady, about four foot nothing, elderly gal, come out and she was fit to be tied. And she walked up to them, and she said, this all-you-can-eat restaurant, not you eat all, out! <laughs> and she, she kicked these four killing machines out of the restaurant. Hey, folks. Philip was thinking of a snack. Jesus was looking at a buffet. Little is much when God is in it. Verse 12, and when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 uh, baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Moses didn't have much. He had a rod. God did a lot with that rod. David didn't have much. He had a few smooth stones. God did a lot with those stones. I think of the widow, the prophet's uh, wife, the, the widow woman in 2 Kings chapter 4, and, and she, she had to pay the debt, and she had nothing to pay the debt, and she was going to lose, she was going to lose her son to the creditor. And the prophet said, What hast thou in the house? And she had nothing but a pot or two. For oil, he told her to go out and borrow uh, these pots, and he said, "Not a few." And when she got to the last pot, pouring that oil miraculously, as God filled that thing again and again and again, and got to that last pot, she wished she had borrowed more. She wished she had borrowed more. You know, when I think of when I think of Jesus talking about the widow's mite being more than what the rich put in there. I don't think he meant just metaphorically. I believe he meant it when he said it was more. Why? 
because God would use that in a greater way because of the sacrifice involved. She hath given more. And I don't believe he meant it metaphorically. I believe he meant it literally. Little is much when God is in it. What do you have today that the Lord wants to use? It may not seem like much. It may not seem like much in the eyes of others. It may not even seem like much in your eyes. And I guarantee you the devil will sit on your shoulder and belittle you about it. Do like the lad. Have the faith to come forward with it. And say, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. It may not be much, but it's yours. Because when it's blessed and it's broken, God can use it in multiplied ways to be blessings to others. Think of a story of a man walking down the beach in the early morning after the tide had gone out. And the beach was cluttered with starfish. Thousands of them. And these starfish usually died. And there was a little boy he came upon who was taking these starfish one at a time and throwing them back into the water. And the man said, young man, what are you doing? He says, he says I'm, I'm, I'm rescuing these starfish. And he said, he says, you're never going to. He said, you're never going to rescue all these starfish. You're never going to. You're never going to save all of these. And the little boy just sort of half ignored him, picked one up, threw it back out there into the water, and he said, that one's going to live. That one's going to live. And you know, sometimes I look at our tired old world, and I tell you what, you spend too much time with the news of the day, you'll get discouraged. And I think, what can I do? What can we accomplish? Well, I can pick up one more. I can throw it back out into the water. And so can you. And so can you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this story. We thank you what it portrays to us. We thank you for the reality of it, Father. We believe the miracles of Scripture. Uh, We don't believe that there was any magic to it. We, we don't believe that uh, these were allegorical. We, we believe you literally turned water to wine. We believe you literally took a little bit of bread and fishes and fed multitudes with it. We believe you literally parted the Red Sea and all those things we read about in your word. And we know, Lord, that these things are written for our admonition. And so may we be admonished this morning. And be encouraged. Encouraged to take what we have, what you've given us. Not worry about what we don't have. Not worry about what you didn't give us. Not worry about the other guy. But just run the race in our lane. And finish. And do what we can. And Lord, help us as we're blessed and broken. We don't like being broken, Father. We, we, we do it a different way. But Lord, a lot of times you have to do it that way to get us where we need to go. So help us to count it all joy 
and allow you to work in our lives and let patience have her perfect work and grow us that we might bring forth fruit, that we might bring forth more fruit, Lord, that we might ultimately bring forth much fruit. Pray for that one looking in this morning or here with us that doesn't know Christ. Father, help them to respond to the invitation and receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, may they not walk away from this holy moment, this opportunity they may never get again to trust Christ as their personal Savior. May they reach out for some help if it's needed. Come to know the Son of God and sins forgiven. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 377. Number 377, Faith is a Victory. Encamped along the hills of mighty Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the coping skies against the foe in veils below. Let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that Brother Jeff, would you come on up and close us in a word of prayer? Brother Brigham is a missionary to Japan. Uh, we'll hear from him tonight. And he's here with his two sons this weekend. It's good to have them with us. And uh, Brother, if you'd please close us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it's uh, great to be here today. Lord, it's always good to hear something fresh from the Word of God. And Lord, there's always something that you have for us that will get us through this coming week. Lord, I pray that we'll be like that lad 
And though, Lord, we might think in our own hearts that it's not going to make any difference, Lord, eternity will tell the results of that decision. May the devil not deceive us in thinking that our small efforts are worthless. Lord, may we take every opportunity. May we always be ready to lead a soul to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for an opportunity, Lord, to live, to have food and raiment. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to serve you. I pray that you'll bless your people today. Thank you, Lord, for their love, their compassion for us, for our family, and for our ministry. We pray your blessing on each and every person, and I pray that you'll dismiss us, Lord, with your blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.